Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Thanks, Warwick. Um, so many announcements. That um, revival prayer meeting has been going for about a year. Um, and we just felt, I'm, I'm never a fan of closed meetings. And it wasn't as such. It was just a fact that um, felt God burdened my heart about that. And then some people joined me in that. We just felt it was important. We keep it at 10 o'clock. Again, as, as Warwick said, just to ensure that it's not a must. You don't need to come to this if it's not your thing. Um, but if there are intercessions in your heart, um, then it's not where we pray for your Aunt Maggie's sore toe. Um, not that Aunt Maggie's sore toe doesn't matter. All right. Um, it's, uh, it's where we, 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 we have a, our, our focus is a prayer for revival. It's a revival prayer meeting. So if that's a passion. And um, the purpose of it being at 10 is that it's not handy. So it's not something that uh, if you feel it's not in your psyche, then that's okay. Um, this morning, I'm really excited to introduce our new theme. Um, you'll see the old slide, a little bit of a change down at the bottom of the verse. Um, but we, we, over the last, uh, from September last year, we've been teaching the ways of Jesus um, through following Jesus all of life is the idea of actually how do we, how do we, how do we negotiate the ways that Jesus lived? That's really, really important. And so as we prayed about this over, um, I suppose, before Christmas and over Christmas as well, we thought, why don't we just keep on the theme of following Jesus in all of life and jump from the ways of Jesus to the truth, looking at some of his words, some of his... And so the key verse that we're going to use for this is John 14, 6, which is along the bottom. These are the words of Jesus himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so how we come to experience the fullness of the kingdom is through three aspects that are in this verse. And that's the way, which we've looked at. Now we're going to take um, up to Easter, looking at the truth. And then after Easter, we'll jump into the life, um, the, the, the life of Christ. And uh, we're excited about that. So much of this series will probably revolve around Matthew's gospel, um, around the red letter sections, um, uh, primarily probably exploring some of the um, parables um, uh, through, through the series right up to Easter. I think there's 10 weeks, so excited about that. So, so to start this morning, if Jesus said he was the truth, what does that mean? Two questions. Um, that we could ask, what is the truth? And can you handle the truth? Now, probably some of you, uh, like a movie buff, have watched the movie A Few Good Men, um, where this great line comes from, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, who's played by Tom Cruise, is a military lawyer, and he's he's, um, defending two Marines who have been charged with killing a fellow Marine in a naval base in Cuba. And um, Caffey has, has taken the risk of calling a high military figure who's played by Jack Nicholson, and he is Colonel Nathan Jessup. His rightful title is Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, uh, played by Nicholson. 
uh, to stand in an effort to uncover this, this conspiracy. And one of the classic clips in the movie is where Caffey is, is, is pushing in on Jessup. Jessup's in the, in the box, and Caffey is actually, Tom Cruise is really pushing him for an answer. And he's asking the question, did you order the code red? Did you order the code red to have this Marine killed? And Jessup responds after getting hustled a little bit by Caffey. He says, what is it you want? To which Cruz says, I want the truth. And Nicholson's response is brilliant. He says, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. And so I would love us to try and discern the truth this morning, because you see, we, we think about the truth of the word, but my question to you this morning is, can you handle the truth? Because the truth will change you. So people say sometimes, you've heard me say this before, is Emmanuel a safe place to come to? Is Emmanuel a safe place for my gay son or my gay daughter to come to? Yes, it is. We will love on them. We will treat them as our family, but we will challenge them. So yes, it's a safe place to come to. Is it a safe place to come to if I'm struggling with an addiction? Yes, of course it is. It's a safe place to come. But the truth will always change you. The truth will always change you. It's not the truth if it doesn't change you, all right? And so um, to do that, I'd love us to read a couple of passages. I'm purposely not putting these on the screen. I'm asking you, I'd love you this season to consider bringing your Bible. Now, you can do that on your iPad or on your phone. Please don't go to Facebook. Um, and if somebody beside you goes on to Facebook, sh- just shout them out, will you? Um, um, but bring your Bibles if you can. Bring your Bibles. There's something about a something about paper and leather and not that maybe it's just old-fashioned but there's something about scribbling over it and stuff like that but look it up in your um look it up in your phone if you if you haven't got a bible with you and let's try and do this the key passages i'm probably gonna not put on the screen this season john 1 john 1 how do we discern the truth john 1 14 to 18 the word became flesh jesus is the word He is the living word, all right? This is the written word. This is the logos. Jesus is the living aspect of this here. He is the living word. So don't tell me you love God if you don't love his word. It's a contradiction, all right? You can't say you love God if you don't love his word because the word is Jesus. The word became flesh. That's Jesus made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known, has made him known to us. Second little read, and there's significance in searching for truth. Now, if you skip over, if you just take right away near to the back of your Bible, just before the book of Revelation, just one back from it, there's a little book of John. That's a little epistle. Well, there's another one between it, Jude. But um, just a couple back from that is John. And we're looking at 1 John 4, the first six verses. 1 John 4. First six verses. Dear friends, 
Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Wow, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? You must test them. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. That's why prophecy needs tested. All right, if somebody gives you a prophetic word, you should always, always test it, no matter who it comes from. And I always say the two thumbs, so look, see my two thumbs? The two thumbs of rule to live by in prophecy are, does it line up with the Word of God? And there's a peace in my heart. If I don't have peace about it, then it's, I, I, it's not that they've done any harm, but it just doesn't land for me. And if it doesn't line with the Word of God, then it's rubbish. All right? So God will never tell you anything that's contrary to His Word. So He says, For there are many false prophets in the world, and this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a spirit claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. So this spirit of Antichrist is already here. Now, a couple of verses that challenge me most in my faith, have done for years and still do to this day, are these two verses, 1 John 2. And it says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, that's a pretty big challenge, isn't it? That verse freaks me out, all right? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus lives. And of course, this one, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've heard me saying this all the time. We quote this verse, the truth will set you free, and that's not what it says. It says you will know the truth. It's your knowledge of the truth. If it's not in your mind and in your heart, it will never set you free, all right? It has to be a knowledge of it. And so, and we don't talk an awful lot about what we believe anymore. Um, it's been more on the side of how we behave. So what we believe sort of becomes a bit secondary. And a few, um, couple of years ago, I drew this diagram on the flip chart, and then Warwick kindly put it and drew it for me on the screen, which is really, really good. And it's just a little um, thought that I had a number of years ago about how we are known to be tripartite. We're a body, a soul, and a spirit. There we have it. And, and we have two intakes. We have a spiritual intake and we have a physical intake. So our eyes are a gift to our soul, what we listen to and what we watch. That's why it's so important. Like if you're watching shady stuff on a Saturday night, it's going to soil your soul for a Sunday morning. It's going to soil your soul, period. But it's going to soil your soul for a Sunday morning. So it's something about what, be careful what you watch. Be careful what you watch. I, I, you've, you've heard me tell about many movies but I have never watched a horror movie. I've never watched a horror movie, ever, from I was a kid. I've just never watched them. I don't like them. I've, I've never watched, I, I don't watch anything much over a 12, really. I've watched an odd 15, but it, it just, it, because, I, because I worked in the docks, I worked in Belfast docks, I was a lorry driver for many years, um, I, some of my best friends had the foulest language ever. They would break words in two to put a curse word in the middle. But there's something about, again, you've heard me say this before, there's a difference between a bad tongue and a loose tongue. And I've no problem with people who, have a, who, who speak bad language as part of their lifestyle. And they've grown up in rough areas, and it's just part of who they are. And, and, and some of those men on the docks that I worked with became my best friends. But when I hear a Christian who should know better, 
use language that is not becoming. That's a loose tongue. And there's something about, about when, whenever we're not living our lives right, our lives become loose. And we tell jokes that are just on the edge. And we, so uh, there, there we go. And so it's really important that we feed our, because what happens if we, we have our spiritual intake, which comes in and feeds your spirit, we have our physical intake, which comes in and feeds our body and our spirit, and what happens is our soul then is, it, this goes into our mind, your soul is your mind and your will and emotions, and what you see out of that is the behavior. So what happens out of that lifestyle then, we see um, the, the returns of that. So oftentimes our beliefs and our behaviors don't match, uh, like how we say we should, be lo- we should love everyone, and, 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 and yet what happens is we get drawn to, into our own lusts, and we don't actually love people the way we really should. And John here seems to be bringing a challenge to every believer because of the state of the church, especially in his epistle, because John's epistle was appended at a critical time in church history. It was much like today. It was the end of the century, and the church had grown at an alarming rate. When you go to Acts 2, you have 3,000 men not, not including women and children, been saved in one day. You go to Acts 4, you have another 4,000 people been saved. Um, you, 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 you go to Acts 6. When you go to Acts 6, the problem is that the, the need is so great and the church has grown at such an alarming rate. Leadership is struggling. They've to set aside apostles to seek the, to, to, to seek the word and to pray and, and, and assign deacons to do the practical stuff. All of this is going on. And in 70 AD, the church gets scattered. There's a significant persecution. And it seems there's an emergence of false doctrines. People are leaving the church and people who aren't leaving the church are coming up with new doctrines and bringing them into the church. And old John, who's probably in around his mid-90s, takes his pen to combat this and settle the truth once and for all. He's saying, what you believe really matters. What you believe will determine your destiny. He's saying what you believe will dictate how you behave, and how you behave dictates how you become. It's really, really important. In the 60s, um, music was beginning to change and form the culture. Those of you who are older in here will, will know this, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Elvis Presley and before that, up to the 50s, it wasn't really, it just seemed to be, like if you've seen a photo of an old, of a, of a grown-up man and a little kid, they just looked like a mini-me, you know, same clothes. And, and then the 60s, the revolution came of, of rock music and teenagers were born. There was no real teenager era before that. But in 1965, there was a song came out by Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. And the song was, some of you will remember it, I can't get no satisfaction. And he he says this, he says, because I try and I try and I try and I try. And I'll sing it for you. I can't get no satisfaction. Music gurus actually tell us that this song disrupted society like no other song. They actually tell us that this song actually is still disrupting society today. 
People are, are, are disrupted because people are searching for answers. They're trying to find, and they're looking in all the wrong places, and they're looking at all the wrong people. And while there seems to be a little bit of thirst for hunger and righteousness, the, this is the big question is, can we actually handle the truth? Because right now, you are a byproduct of what you believe, um, what you think about marriage, raising your kids, is all centered on what you believe. And, and we're living in a pretty needy day. Unemployment, depression, um, politically, spiritually, economically, socially. The world at this moment in time is creaking. It's Romans 8. The very world is straining under the... Like you just even got to watch what's happening physically around the world at the minute. Hailstones now the size of eggs in Australia. Droughts somewhere else. Floods in England. The world is creaking. And Romans 8 says, even the world, even the structures of the world are creaking and straining because of sin. And there are millions of people out there, billions of people, and they're looking for answers. And we have the great answer. We have the answer. His name is Jesus. And added to all of that, we have a million opinions out there at the touch of a button. We have Google, Safari, you name it, Instagram, Facebook, on and on I could go, Twitter, podcast, God channels galore, God help us please. Um, and a myriad of websites that, and, and the fact of it is, the fact of it is, there is a lot of funny doctrine out there. There's a lot of untruth out there. There's a lot of watering down of absolute truth. They tell us today, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Nonsense. It's a nonsense. And, and God knows how many people are, are, are getting answers from all the wrong avenues. And yet we, 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 we sit quietly. And, and, and so in the middle of all this stuff, John comes up with this chapter and he says there's two types of people. There's those who believe in Jesus and there's those who don't. There's people who are going to heaven and there's people who are going to hell. And John's talking about this melting pot of distorted truth and he's saying there's many spirits out there. Folks, there's many spirits and you need to test them. You need to test them. It's really, really important. There's a lot of people out in the world that are passionate about what they believe, even though it's wrong. And, and John is saying, be careful, test it. He's saying, this is a big deal. Today, there are millions of voices out there. And, um, and it's so important. And so he's asking the question about the spirit of this world, about religious stuff, about people being passionate, all of this. You know, every time your heart beats, every time your heart beats, Someone in the world dies without Christ. Every time your heart beats. Someone in the world at this moment in time. And, and, and John's saying, it's simple. It's all about Jesus, what you believe about him. We believe in an all-powerful God who inhabits eternity. The book of Isaiah tells us that. And he's not under pressure with the world economy, folks. It's, it's all under control. He is all mercy. He's all justice. He's huge. He's huge. And the moment you try to put words in him, the moment you try to, to explain him, you begin to box him in. But the Antichrist spirit, what the Antichrist spirit does, it tries to inflate man. It tries to tell you, you are a God. That's what happened in the garden. That's what happened when, when the serpent said to Adam, you can become, you're, you're a God, you can become. And so what it does, it, it inflates man by deflating God. And the moment you do that, the moment you inflate man and deflate God, the lesser the need comes for Jesus. It's a bit like, it's a bit like um, 
if you, if you, you, all, you all understand the old gap theory, um, I, I love it. It's, it's, and so you have this idea where you have God and you have man, and you have this. Warwick did this at communion. He talked about the bridge. He talked about if you have come over that bridge, and the only thing that can cross that bridge is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that brings God to man and man to God. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven, Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby man can come to God and God can come to man. There's no other way. There is no other way. There are not many ways to God. There is one way. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. And our nature without Christ is lost. And the reason that Christ is so big is because the gap is so big. That gap is huge. You will never jump it. You will never get across it any other way. That's why Jesus is so big. And that's why it's so important. And, 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 and that's why we need to invite people to Alpha really, really important that we invite people to Alpha because he's a, he, it's, sometimes we think we've, we've got this big man and a wee God. That's not the thing. We, we've just got little man and a huge God and a wildly extravagant Christ who paid the price for our redemption. And that's the key. I love what um, Spurgeon said. Spurgeon put it this way. Somebody asked him one time how he would defend the Bible. He said, defend it. I'd as soon try to defend a lion. He says, God's word doesn't need defending. Just preach it. Let it out of its cage and it will defend itself. There's something about the word of God. There's something about this truth that if we allow it, if we allow it, if we begin to handle the truth and we begin to handle it wisely, is it any wonder we're told that the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The older I get and the more I watch the evening news and the more I think of the time I live in, the more it scares the life out of me in a good way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I love this word. And so here's what it says about it in Hebrews 4, 12. It says, we have this living word of God, which is full of energy. Any is feeling you need a bit of energy? Anybody feeling a bit flat in the new year? Anybody feeling a bit deflated? This is full of energy. It pierces better than Lucasian. It pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of her being where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts of and secret motives of the heart. It's a divine revelation. And in this Bible, we find out the plan for mankind written by God himself. Now, here's a little video. It's only two minutes long. Have a little look at this. Now, this, I, I, I did a bit of background in this to find out where this come from. And there's a total Bible school theory behind this little video. So it's not just two guys, John Bevere and another guy. They just haven't picked this out of the sky. All right, watch it. It's two minutes long. Recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you're open your Bible, 
we hear the message one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline wow. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang like four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in the scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. The stats of that are incredible. And there's a full graph. Ask me, I can send it to you afterwards. But there's something about this word. And there's two Greek words. We know this, logos and rima. We've got the written word, but we've got the rima. And if we're in it three or four times a week, what happens is the word begins to become a rima. It begins to jump out, out, out at us. We begin to see things that we've never seen before. I read every day and something, I've read the passage hundreds of times, and all of a sudden something jumps out and you think, wow, i never seen that before. That's the Rima word. And the Rima word is the, is the word of God that actually unveils itself, reveals itself, and explains itself in your soul. And there's something about us getting into that because the Bible tells us, Matthew 4, 4, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. And this is why the truth is so important. And if you allow the truth into your life, it will set you free. And so my question again is, can you handle the truth. Do you really want to be set free? Do you want this idea of this word of God? I, I've showed you this little thing many times, but it's my hobby horse, and I go back to it all the time. This word is a two-edged sword. It divides the truth. It's a hammer. It breaks the resistance of the heart. It's a mirror. It reflects the true picture of man. It's a fire. The word of God is pure, and it will refine the mud and the mire out. It's a lamp and a light, a lamp that actually a lamp that actually shows you where you're standing, a light that actually shows you the way ahead. This is an incredible thing. And this Bible is the only written revelation of God to man. And this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. And there's something that I think as a spur of this age, there's a spur of this age that's trying to keep people from the word. It's old-fashioned. It's not for today. That's a nonsense. This book was composed, 66 books, 40 different writers, over a period of 1,600 years. Such a miracle, um, inspired by one author, Bible written by fishermen and kings and peasants and herdsmen and poets and statesmen and scholars and priests and prophets, a tax collector, a rabbi, a tentman, 
bookmaker, a doctor, you name it, on and on I go. The writings include history, law, poetry, educational discourses, um, songs, romance, parables, biographies, personal letters. What's boring about that? It's the most incredible book. It's written, and it's, it's, it's the origin of the writer displays itself 4,000 times, over 4,000 times. You have the little expression, the Lord would say, or thus says the Lord. This is inspired word of God. I love how the psalmist said this in 119.89. He says, forever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. If it's not settled in your heart, I can tell you, it's settled in the throne room. And so my question again is, can you handle the truth? Would you let it come in? Would you let it? Would you, would you get into a system of becoming sharp in the Word where you would study it and hear it and absorb it and read it and ponder it and allow your skills to be honed where you become sharp in it? You would know where the, where the quotations are. You would write over it. I, I read this little quote from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was known to say that people in India are starving physically, but people in the Western world are starving spiritually. But she said, that makes the people in India better off because they know why they're starving. Wow. And here's my thing. Here's my thing. As we run into this, not only does this word change our lives, it changes the lives of people around us. This idea of Romans 10, I love this. It says, how, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard. What about your neighbors? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? And then he quotes Isaiah 52, 7. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's something about it. How's your feet? Are we going to reach these thousand souls? Because here's the fact, we need one. We need one to get kicked off. And I've put the challenge out a thousand lives to be changed this year, and I'm believing it with all my heart. But if all of us just told one person, then something unique happens. I've told you this little story before, but I, a couple of people have asked me about it lately. And if you've heard it again, bear with me. But um, here, here, here we go, really quickly, as we bring this to close. Amber and the guys and Emma want to come up. We're going to finish with a song because I have a little story to tell you. This is Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher in the early 1800s and a 17-year-old orphan boy walks into his class and God spoke to him and said, I want you to speak to him. But he left early and Kimball was really distraught because he had felt he'd missed God. And so he prayed, he said, Holy Spirit, could he prayed and he fasted that God would give him another um, opportunity to see this boy again. Never seen him for months. But a few months later, he's walking into a, he walks into a shoe shop in downtown Chicago, and, and, and this boy was an assistant. Campbell goes up, leads him to Jesus, and that young boy would later say that, that he... It was the first time anybody ever told him that he had a soul. His name was D.L. Moody. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell to you, D.L. Moody became one of the renowned preachers of all time. And it noted before there was web, before there was Wi-Fi, <clears throat> before there was mobile phones, D.L. Moody preached to 100 million people. Huh. Just because a Sunday school teacher got exercised about a boy in a shoe shop. 
All right. One of one of Moody's converts was a guy called F. B. Meyer. F. B. Meyer would would disciple him, uh, or uh, Moody would disciple him to become a theologian who wrote seventy five books, and he would do these crusades that would target alcohol and prostitution, and they would say that when F. B. Meyer done done a crusade and brought people into the auditorium, when the people left, there would be bottles of alcohol everywhere. They would just leave them on the floor. People set free of the demon of drink. And then he, one of his converts would be this boy called John Wilbur Chapman. And he was a hymnologist. He wrote many hymns. He wrote the old hymn, Living, He Loved Me, Dying, He Saved Me, Buried, He Carried My Sins Far Away. Some of the oldies will know that. A master evangelist who captured the heart of this wild man. This wild man was a guy called Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a baseball player who turned preacher known as a wild evangelist, and he would tap on the heart of this guy called Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham suffered from depression. He would go into these dark areas and dark moods, and in one of his dark moods, his last time he ever preached, the last meeting he ever done on the last crusade, on his last uh, altar call, this young man would make his way. Mordecai Ham would never preach again out of this dark place of depression. And on the last day, in the last altar call, this young man made his way to the front. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham is known to have preached in 186 countries. He's preached over six continents. He did 400 crusades. And they reckon he led something like 215 million people to Jesus. (laughs) All because of one. One investment. One investment is a huge impact. Don't don't think your neighbor across the street is a lost cause. There's no such thing as a lost cause when it comes to the kingdom. Warwick and I were in, when I move that, it means I'm quitting. Um, Warwick and I were in, uh, met a pastor from Dublin down in Dundalk on Friday, Tommy, and um, runs Firebrand Ministries. And Tommy's an ardent evangelist, um, works amongst the drug addicts in the Talica state. Beautiful guy, saved 17 years, him and his wife, just for a heart for God. And Tommy told us this story. They were doing evangelism in, in his church. He's about 80 to 100 people, Warwick and Gillian and down in it. And, um, and, and he, he was doing this evangelism course and telling people how to tell the truth. So Tracy, a care worker, gets saved in his church. And, and, and Tracy... And, and the next day at her work goes in and this girl that she's caring for, this lady she's caring for is dying of cancer and Tracy's concerned and she goes into the lady and she says, she says, Mrs. So-and-so, she says, I really don't want you to go to hell. Like it's a great evangelism approach, isn't it? But it's the truth. I don't want you to go to hell. And this lady says, well, I don't want to go to hell. And she says, well, the truth is if you're not saved, you'll go to hell. And, and this lady says, well, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do? And Tracy says, you just need to repent. Repent of your sin. Ask God into your life and he'll save you. She says, well, can I do that now? Tracy leads this woman to faith. An hour later, the daughter, this lady's daughter comes in, comes out to the care worker and says, my mom was telling me that you told her about hell. Tracy goes, yeah, yeah, I did. And she says, well, I don't want to go to hell. And Tracy says, well, you don't need to go to hell. And she says, well, what do I need to do? He says, you just need to repent of your sin. Ask Jesus into your life. The girl says, well, can I do that now? Tracy says, yes, you can. Leads her to Jesus. An hour later, the lady's husband comes in. Lady's husband comes in, comes out to the car worker, says to the car worker, my wife was telling me you told her about hell. And Tracy says, yes, I did. He says, I don't want to go to hell. Tracy says, you don't have to go to hell. 
He says, well, what do I do? He says, just need to repent of your sin. Ask Jesus into your life. Can I do it now? Yes, you can. Tracy leaves him. Train them in the family to Jesus. She goes home to her own mother. Her own mother says, what are you so cheery about? She says, I led three people to Jesus today. The mother says, how did you do that? And she says, well, I just told them that if they weren't saved, they'd go to hell. The mom says, well, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and, and Tracy says, well, you don't need to go to hell. Well, what do I need to do? Well, you just need to repent of your sin. Ask Jesus into your life. Well, can I do it now? Yes, you can. Leads her mom to Jesus. An hour later, her sister comes in. Her mom says, her mom says to her, her mom says, Tracy tells me I was going to hell because I'm not saved. The, the, the young girl says, well, I don't want to go to hell. Tracy says, you don't need to go to hell. True, true story. True story. Five people. Five people in one day. Just by telling the truth. Just by telling the truth but we're afraid to tell people they're going to hell because we're afraid of offending them. But it's the truth. And the truth, when you know it, will set you free. If those people hadn't have known the truth, they'd still be in the way to hell. But somebody bold enough to tell them saved them for all eternity. Can you handle the truth? because it'll set you free. It'll turn your life upside down. It'll set you in a roller coaster. And I don't know, but I feel, every time I, I think of the Lord's return, I think of my feet over the edge of this platform. And I feel this is the pose of Jesus right now. I feel his feet are over the edge. He's posing, waiting on the command of the Father to return. And so if you're not saved in here, you're not saved, you desperately need saved. It's 10 to 11, our time's gone. I don't have time to push this on. But if you're not saved, you need, you need saved. You need saved from a hell and a lost eternity. You need heaven as your home, my friend. And this could be your day. So with your eyes closed, I'd love right now, if there's anybody in this room that would come and speak to me afterwards. I'm not going to pull you to the front. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I'm asking you right now to give me a wave because I'd love to have a conversation with you after this service is over. Anybody, anybody, we'll give it one minute. And you're saying, I need to get right with Jesus today. I don't want to go to hell. When you go home today, will you, will you go home prayerfully? Would you think of the neighbor that needs to go to Alpha on Thursday night? Would you think of your family member that maybe you haven't had the courage to invite just yet? Wouldn't it be awful if they went to hell? Wouldn't it? So let's, let's cross the street today, knock a door, make a, make a call, send a text. Let's, let's start this thousand lives rolling let's stand together and worship and then Warwick will pray for us and our we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast for more information about our church and all that we do please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk